For MeatPoultry.com, I'm Erica Schaefer, Digital Media Senior Editor. Randy Block, CEO of Cattlefax, specializes in separating signals from noise, drilling down to the data that matters to deliver actionable insights to the meat and poultry industry stakeholders who rely on the research, analysis, and other information that Cattlefax provides to its subscribers. He was a featured speaker at the Certified Angus Beef Annual Conference held in Asheville, North Carolina this week and he took a few minutes to share with Meat and Poultry his observations of the trends and issues affecting the industry. We started our conversation with the topics of China, trade, and why any old trade deal just isn't good enough. Well, China is the fastest growing uh, global marketplace out there. Again, they've seen uh, the amount of product that they've uh, relied on from global suppliers has increased from 3 billion pounds a year to in excess of 10 billion pounds a year in a decade. And the U.S. basically doesn't have uh, much share in that market other than from a poultry standpoint. We have very little access to the Chinese market for beef or for poultry. So that's a, that's a huge opportunity for us in that marketplace as they have a growing middle class and Obviously, they're not going to be able to produce enough protein domestically to feed all those people as we look down the road. So uh, it's, it's a market over there with uh, where they're going through their uh, devastating situation with African swine fever, where they've lost estimated 40 to 50 percent of their, their hog population that... Uh, they're going to need a way to feed these people as we look at the next several years and hopefully the U.S. is able to supply some of that uh, deficit and protein that they need. You talked about um, <coughs> some of the, com- the competitors out there for the U.S. How long would it take for the U.S. to gain ground given the head start that countries like Australia have in the Chinese market? Well, I think uh, you just have to put that in perspective is Australia will harvest 7 million head of cattle this next year. The U.S. is going to harvest 27 million head of fed cattle, high quality fed cattle this next year. So just the size and scale of our production systems, the quality that we have, uh, again, we feed a higher quality animal than what the Australian marketplace does. Their their animals aren't, would not have the same type of marbling as the product that is produced in the U.S. marketplace. So it nearly becomes a little bit of a tiering system. Uh, There's consumers with 250 to 300 million people in China that have a middle class income. They're going to want the higher quality product that they can get and be willing to pay for it. So I think that gives the U.S. a strong market opportunity and a strong market niche, not only in that market, but in all markets around the globe. And you talked about uh, the impact of swine fever on protein flows. Can you just give your, your synopsis of how the spread, how animal diseases like African swine fever can influence other proteins? Well, you're in a situation, if we were to look specifically at this disease, is, you know, you've got a marketplace that is highly 
dependent on pork. Where they eat 88 pounds of, of pork per person in China, that's the estimate, 18 pounds of poultry, 13 pounds of beef. So in that particular market, when you go through this type of uh, devastation of the herd, there's no way to fill the void of pork. So it's going to be relying on other proteins to fill the void. And that means from a price standpoint, poultry is obviously more uh, closely uh, priced with, with pork. Beef is obviously higher priced than either of those other proteins. So it would make good sense that uh, we would export more poultry, not just the U.S., but all the supplying countries would ship more poultry into that market to help fill the void. But there's still an opportunity, if we had access to that market, to be able to ship more high-quality uh, U.S. beef products. But the type of trade deal that we have in place with China today does not allow us to ship what we produce. That's the bottom line. It just doesn't allow us to ship we're, we're talking about a market that we produce, three or four percent of our total supply is product that is built for what our little market opening is into that specific market. So again, not very much is going that direction. Does it matter if we have a unilateral trade agreement or a multilateral trade agreement at the end of the day does any of that matter as long as we have a, some kind of a trade deal well it needs to be better than some kind of a trade deal we've got some kind of a trade deal with china today and it's not very good uh, it needs to be a market trade deal that gives us real access a level playing field with real access that's what we've had in place with mexico that's what we've had in place with canada uh, historically, we've had that in place with Japan and South Korea, which have been big markets, Hong Kong. Um, they take what we produce, and they have can pick and choose all the different products that they want. That's not been the trade deal we've had in place with China. Uh, so hopefully we'll get that worked out and we'll have a, a bigger scope or a bigger opportunity in that, in that space going forward. because. No doubt about it, it's going to be the, continue to be the fastest growing market opportunity over the course of the next five to ten years. How concerned are you that we have not ratified USMCA yet? Well, obviously we'd like to see USMCA ratified. We're hopeful that it'll get ratified by the end of the year. Um, again, these are two of our biggest markets, Mexico and Canada, not just for protein products, but other ag products uh, as well. So it is something we need to get done. We need to be able to start checking some of these boxes. And uh, again, with the situation, the climate in Washington, D.C., uh, it's, been, it's been pretty difficult to get anything done, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to get these uh, trade agreements done in here uh, with Mexico, with Canada, with Japan, we're hopeful, optimistic that we could have those done by later yet this year. I wanted to talk about the producers. We've got some producers who are agitating for a bigger cut of the pie. How close are we getting to meeting their expectations for what they should be earning for their cattle? Well, I think the, the, the this starts with the 
basic understanding of how markets work over a long period of time. Um, our markets are very efficient. They're very efficient and today we need the packing capacity worse than we need anything else in our market. I mean that's and that market segment is being rewarded because of the pressures we've put on it particularly where the we lost a major plant uh, due to a fire here in the month of August. So those margins swelled in the short term to incentivize other packers to, to pick up the slack. But I take us back just a handful of short years ago, 2014 and 15. Our cow-calf producers were making uh, four to $500 a head. Our cattle feeding operations or our feeders were making several hundred dollars a head. Uh, our packers were not making any money. They were losing money and that's why they were closing plants. So again, this is the ebb and flow as we go through a cycle. And I think we all just need to take a little bit of a, of a deep breath and we need to step back and see how these markets are working and how they, how they really are pretty darn efficient. Sometimes we don't like what they're telling us, but they really are pretty efficient in sorting through all of the uh, uh, changes that we go through during the course of the year. And for, unfortunately, when we go through a situation like the plant fire, the markets had to react in a very short period of time to send the right signal. And I believe we've priced that full impact into the market already. Note. During our conversation, news broke of an early stage trade agreement between the United States and Japan. Japan is the largest value destination for U.S. pork and beef exports, so this was good news for red meat producers and the market, which Block expects to remain predictable and efficient for the next 12 months. Yes, I would say the market's really been very predictable here over the last 12 to 24 months. Uh, I have not seen any real hiccups out here other than when you get a, an event like uh, the Tyson fire that the markets have to uh, you know, calibrate for in the short term. But the supply side has been predictable, the price side, the price levels, the price ranges there, that we see during the course of the year, I would say they've been very, very predictable over the last uh, uh, 24 plus months, and I expect they're going to continue to be predictable as I look down the road here over the next 12 months. That's the show for this week. For more stories from the meat and poultry industry, head to our website, meatpoultry.com. And be sure to stay social with us by searching at Meat Poultry on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Erica Schaefer. Thanks for listening.